Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 116 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have a prolific author of Enterprise Excellence books, Dr. Morgan Jones, back on the show with us today. Morgan, together with Drew Butler and Dr. Gerhard Planeau, have just released their most recent book, Transform Behaviours, Transform Results. Morgan has been on the show with us previously discussing his books, 4 Plus 1, Why Bother, and Mastering Facilitation. Let's get into the episode. Morgan, thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you both for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. Oh, mate, it's always a pleasure. I've enjoyed the previous shows that we've done together so much. Mate, what have you been up to since the last episode that we recorded on the last book you wrote? Uh, well, obviously, the, the it, it came about um, the interesting thing when I'm driving CI and rolling out Shingo training to people. Everybody focuses on results. And in, in Why Bother, we, sort, we started to get you to think about how do I assess behaviours, and, and which is a great start. But I needed to take people on, on the journey much deeper and go, well, what does that really look like at all the levels? So when we talk, whether it's talking safety or continuous improvement, it's different when you talk at a CEO level through to a front line, in whether you're in a bank or in, a, um, in any industrial organization or manufacturing. It's different, but you have this in common themes and you just need to think about it. So that's probably where I came about there. It's just taking lots of different lenses as well, which is where the book uh, detail comes in. Mm. So uh, you've been like, why bother was such a great book with writing about why bother assessing your journey. And I, you know, I guess you said that you brought a lot of behavior into it, but it sounds like after that book, you're doing a lot of exploration of well, what are the different behaviors at different levels of the organization on the transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what, what led you to go, right. Okay. I've got to now get this book out there. We've got to get out there about transform behaviors because why is focusing on behaviors so important to actually get the results that you want? Oh, interesting. So having done Lean and Six Sigma and Agile for, for many years, uh, most people focus on the results. How much have you saved? You know, quick, how quickly have you got the product to market, et cetera. But to make it sustainable and make those transformations really stick is you don't focus on the outcome. You focus on the behaviors that deliver the outcome. And that's we start. We we start to scratch the surface in my bother, but in, in in this book I go well. Actually, let's just take it down so people really understand. And the lights tend to go on. So as I've worked with um, organisations consulting a few years ago, I started to create just what I call a framework. Basically, it's just a table with different different uh, elements of the the competency or behaviour, whether it's continuous improvement or decision making. But it looks different at different levels. Because people, you know, and, and actually going, what does it look like a CEO compared to a general manager, compared to a team lead, compared to a front line? And actually start pe- getting people to articulate it in their language. People actually say, oh, I want you to think about this. No, no. What do you want me to actually do? 
Oh, what do you want me to say? Oh, but I want you to think about continuous improvement. Yeah, so what do you want me to actually do? So it became the lights go on when they start to think about this and they go, if we get people saying and doing this, they deliver these results consistently. Ah, you know, because everyone's trying to brain, you know, oh, everybody's going to think this way. And I go, let's just start getting people actually doing things. So let's get into action. That's neat. That's neat. And so it's honing on on those behavioural factors to actually and understand what the different ones are at different levels of the organisation. Now, Matt, I know over the years you and your colleagues have done so much work on studying the challenges of traditional CI programs, you know, programs to try bring lean in or agile in or just continuous improvement. Like what are some of the challenges that are common with these programs that get brought in and that you've highlighted through the book? Well, first and foremost, the, the thing that are seen as a pro, it is seen as a program, which is the first big mistake, because it, it, it says then there's a finite time frame. Okay, and we can forget about it and move to the next program, the next initiative. So you you don't actually think about embedding the skills and making them a habit. We we all we end up doing is compliance. Well, you've got to do this methodology. You've got to do that. Tick the box. Tick the box. Um, rather than actually step and go, well, actually, how do I want people to, to think and how do I want them to behave? So that's probably the, the big thing there. It's, you know, CI, I, I've run programs for 30 years, and most of the time it's around, show me the results. Morgan, what's the results? Savings, savings, sometimes growth, but mostly savings. And yeah, I can deliver that, but, you know, but is it sustainable? So they all they care, care about is give me short term. So, well, if you want this to be sustainable and you want savings every year, you have to focus not on what I call discrete improvements. It's more about continuous improvement. And the continuous improvement is what you're doing every single day. Continue to improve the way you work and making it simpler, making it easier, reduce the amount of effort, because then the less effort it takes to do the work, and you, know, you can reduce the materials. Therefore, oh, what happens? You reduce cost. You, you speed it to market. So that's the biggest thing is it's moving the focus away from compliance or any methodology into what are the behaviours we want the tools and methodology to drive. That's neat, Morgan, because just listening to you talk about that, yeah, we're going to roll out an agile program. We're going to roll out a lean program. We're going to roll out this program. Really, in essence, when you get down to the behaviours, it doesn't have to be a program because you, there's no jargon or anything that goes with that, is there? It's just, no. well, what what behaviours do we want to improve to then ultimately get a better cultural outcome and a better performance outcome? It's interesting. Yeah. The program's all of a sudden gone, isn't it? And the jargon's gone too. Yeah, the interesting one, one of my favourites is change management. People focus on, oh, we have to do change management. Um and thinking that's a discrete point of view and say, I've got to get you to accept the new system, the new, you know, new ways of working, rather than saying, here's your old way, here's the new way, and this is why we want to focus on the new way. And everything's, again, focused on my, I, I, the language I use is transaction. It's how do you accept this point, this, rather than going, how do I want to behave in the future? And how is it to get this consistent every day? So if people want to lose weight or they want to get fitter, it's not about just going for a long run one day. It's having that practice, the routine every single day. I'm going to do a little bit of exercise every day. You might, and then 
as you start doing it and you get a bit fitter, you might increase the distance. So you become better and better and better at improvement or risk or whatever it may be. Mm. It's it's powerful too, isn't it, mate? When you think of all the researchers that have studied habit, you know, and that ultimately what is habit formation? It's practicing new behaviors or improved behaviors day after day after day, week after week after week. And then eventually it becomes habit, doesn't it? But without yeah. honing on that, without honing on those behaviors, you haven't got much chance of practicing it long enough to get there. Yeah. And making it habit is the key. So, you know, obviously in four plus one, we had the, you know, it was all about habits. And the habits are really important because what it actually suggests, basically the habit is you stop thinking about in your prefrontal cortex, I have, oh, I better do this. I better do that. It, be, it becomes ingrained. And, it be, and, it, and the decision is actually in your subconscious. Oh, this is the way I do things. Oh, I should look for a better way of doing it. How can I make it safer? Rather than, oh, I must make it safer. Use my, my, my prefrontal cortex to do um, conscious decisioning. You want to make it so it becomes second nature. Mm. Yeah. And I think, too, I guess through a lot of journeys that I've been involved with and I've actually been done myself, you know, I've brought in a program or a tool to try and get a result, but the way that you bring it in, especially when it has a lot of jargon that goes with it and a lot of external factors that seem like such a dramatic change, it can lead to the wrong behaviours very oh, quickly. Absolutely. But it's actually being clear because wrong behaviours, well, it's an interesting wording, wrong behaviours or bad mm. behaviours. Actually, it's you either have an ideal or not ideal. Mm. And, and the reason I say that is pe most people do not come to work to be bad mm. or, you know, to do a bad job, to do the wrong thing. Most people come to do the right thing. And if you have that belief, so therefore they, the, the system or process may drive a non-desirable behavior. And part of that, you need to think about well, what guides them to make the decision. Have they got guiding principles to actually say, okay, I always use the analogy of crossing the road. You press the button, the man's on green. If there's cars going back and forth, would you cross the road? Because the, the, it says green, you could cross, but would you cross using the principle of your personal safety? No, you'd wait till it's safe, even though the, the process says green. Or if it's on red and there's no cars, would you cross the road? Some people would, some people wouldn't. Then it comes down to what leadership shadow do you want to cast? Do you want to show people that leaders break the rules when it's convenient for them or they're in a hurry? So that there for me because like, you know, the language I like to use is it's it's, it's non-ideal. Mm. I've got to understand that. Bad behaviors mean it almost thinks it implies it's intentional. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah, I had um, Morgan. We had Eve Moriox on the podcast recently, and his two-minute tip to leaders out of his episode was basically think of any change that you want to do. First of all, think of what behaviors will that result in. Like what is going to be the behavioral impact of any decision you make? Because that's ultimately where it's going to meet the road and succeed or fail. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm. It's so true. Well, with, with the book, I know that you explore a number of different uh, models. You know, you've got agile, continuous improvements, safety, risk, uh, a number of different areas. With that, what was the reason that you explored these different elements and then tuned them into the behaviors well you know uh, when you talk about transformation 
You know, the first piece, I'll start off in the book and just say, let's explain what does the introduction desired behaviors. What does it actually look like? What drives it, et cetera? And then also start to treat, uh, introduce people to measures of how you measure behaviors. So because we know that KPIs will drive or key performance indicators will drive behaviors. And so, that, uh, uh, you know, so I think, well, okay. Um, but a behavior is how you deliver the outcome or KPI. So I started thinking about what, what's the sort of anatomy of how you construct metrics. Because we're very good at KPIs. How would you create a metric around behaviors, a key behavioral indicators? So in, in early on, I sort of introduced the anatomy. So you, you think about the unit. What's the behavior you're looking at? Sort of population time. You know, how would you make that smaller You know, or improve the quality? And then throughout each of the um, – I, 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 I use is lenses. So if I'm taking a change management lens or an agile lens or continuous improvement, customer experience. And the reason I did that, because different organizations will want to approach – will have a different target for their transformation. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's cost or reduce risk or safety. You know, the heavy industries like steelmaking, mining, et cetera. A lot of it's about safety and reducing cost. Whereas in um, service industries, more, more, more about customer experience. You know, um, I started looking at all of those and risk. Yeah, and so I, I took these different lenses and go, well, what does risk look like? You know, it's about making decisions. You know, and risk is about balancing the, the risk of going wrong against reward. And what does that look like at a CEO level compared to a front line? You know, risk in itself is more safety or personal risk compared to market risk, commercial risk, uh, et cetera, when you get to higher up in the organization. So for me, I started exploring different lenses so, because my background has been change management, agile, and continuous improvement. But I've always done safety and I've always done risk type of things as well. I thought, well, okay, let me just break them down into discrete ways of looking at things via lens, focus in on that and say, what would the behaviors look like if, if I took a, a, a risk lens. Mm. And, but then I go to say, here's some typical KPR. So in the end of the, each of the chapters, I come up and say, well, here's some examples. I introduce you to the anatomy of key uh, behaviors. Now I'm going to say, well, okay, what would a, what are typical be, uh, KPIs for risk or, or customer experience or change management or agile? Then I say, well, okay, great. If you look at that, then what would it, what would a key behavioral indicator look like? And I also introduced in this book, um, I got the uh, two authors to help just test my thinking in this, because key behavioral indicators work really well for middle management, senior management. It doesn't really resonate the front line. They go, oh, you want this behavior? This is how you measure my behavior. It, it almost feels uh, to them a little controlling. So I use a slightly different language. So when you get to frontline and supervisor or team leader level, I use a key activity indicator because that's easier. It's more acceptable. So what you're trying to do is drive those activities and which then result in, and so at the, the, the supervisor level, they can actually look at, here's the behaviors, here's the activities. Am I getting the right behaviors consistently? So, so it, it's sort of dipping down and taking you very simply on a journey on how to do that. Yeah, that's neat. That's neat. Morgan, do you mind if we explore into one of the areas like maybe continuous improvement mm-hmm. and and look at some of the behaviours at frontline, middle management and executive? Like, what have you found with the continuous improvement 
journey, just trying to get a culture of CI at all levels of the organization. What is some of the key frontline behaviors that you came up with and explored through your studies and in the book? Well, this is really interesting because in, in the book here, especially for CI, I've actually used a, um, a case study with, a, with an organization, Suncorp, because I actually did this work for them. Um, so I have a, a rather larger matrix or, or behavioral framework and they simplified it for what they were so i broke it down to if you think about business improvement which is their language and going first of all you know from a, a line of you know fosters a culture of continuous improvement and you say oh that's just leadership actually no it's that front line you want people to explore new ways of doing things contribute to the team initiatives that drive continuous improvement and I focus, continuous improvement is micro-improvement. It's not something that's going to transform the organization. You're talking frontline. What's going to make it What's going to make it a little easier than tomorrow? Mm. It can be a very small in, uh, micro-improvement. But when you start to move up to like a first-line uh, first leader, et cetera, they proactively, you know, constructively challenge the status quo and encourage people to actually come up with ideas. But then also they start to say, well, okay, you're going to generate some ideas and then given them time, skills and capability and accountability to deliver. And therefore, what's that get when you get higher up in the organization? It's about you know, getting encouraging your, your leaders below you to actually do that, coaching them, doing some more complex problem solving at a higher level. And it's again, when you get to the strategic leader or CEO stroke, executive board member, etc. this is, what does that look like? You know, um, you're almost setting targets in the expectation of continuous improvement is part of your strategy. And you demonstrate what you're trying to do at that even role model, that even at the senior level and encourage and coach lower down to coach that capability. So, you know, so there's elements around fostering, you know, culture of improvement. So if a new person comes in, the frontline people are actually going, look, this is a way. If you see any new ideas, come in and we'll work together and we'll try and solve it and, in, and input, you know, that fresh eyes approach will improve. And then you've got something like developing and implementing solutions. You can actually, where's the skill set, et cetera. Um, you know, you can actually lead change. So once you actually come up with an idea, how do you test it? Test it? So making, you know, there's two parts to that. Is one happening going, well, is just a theoretical solution. Let me go and have a make of it. Some frontline people may go, if it's a, a jig or a widget they can go make or might test up and make a cardboard version of a new product what it looks like compared to or the app or draw pictures you know start getting the people to go and how would you sell that to your peers get them to think about how the change but it's not about you must do this here's what we're trying to enable here's the behaviors of getting people to start thinking about it's not just following instructions it's about here's the behavior we're trying to encourage it's trying to make it safer for you it's trying to make it easier for you it's trying to make it easier for the customer you know and so if that makes sense so what we've started to do is start thinking about that at, at multiple levels and then as you go up higher in hierarchy it's more about creating the right environment for those frontline people to do the work mm. also solving problems at the appropriate level so you haven't got executives trying to solve frontline problems, mm. but you know, they solve problems at the appropriate level. What, you know, are you? Because that's some of the challenges you talk about CI. Quite often, 
leaders tend to solve problems at the wrong level. Mm. A lot of that is they try to solve problems that they should be empowering their 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 team or that people to look down from them to solve. Although I'm going to tell you because I'm the expert, rather than empowering their team to solve the problem, and they coach the capability build. Mm. So I'm guessing that's that language you're mentioning, Morgan. There of there one of the key leadership behaviours is coaching. You know, being yeah. able to teach teach people to fish and build capability in people as they go. But I can really sense that, you know, to really make a transformation stick and go forward, ultimately you're talking culture change, culture changes, behavior change. But the behaviors, being able to define them and go, well, what would they be at the front line? What would they be in the middle management? What would they be in the executive? That's really powerful. You can start to map it out and get a real clear view. Morgan, how many behaviors do you typically find a critical to getting a shift at the front line, middle management, executive? Four, four maybe five maximum. It's not many, it, is it? No, and, and it, it comes very simple. You know, it's about, I, I use five sort of dimensions because we've got five fingers and it's easy to remember. So the first one's around really, if you, if you use the language of uh, lean, it's ocean. It's really defining what matters most to the customer and the business. How are you going to know you're on that journey? So that's it. So the first thing is, is everybody aligned to the direction you're trying to go in? And that's from the front line understanding, right, okay, this is where we're going. Here's what's important to the business. This is what's important to customers. So whether it's safety, whether it's um, environmental impact, social value, everybody understand. And being really simple and clear, that's what's important. And then there's a second. So the first one is really defining what matters most to customers in the business. Then the second piece is about actually executional delivery. How well are we delivering what matters most? Mm. The first one, defining what matters most and, and, and how are we going to measure we're doing that. The, the next one is how well are we delivering? Have we, are we got the, the capacity to do the stuff? Are we making, you know, are we empowering the, the people to make the decisions to actually continue to operate and deliver? Are we getting feedback from the customer, et cetera? Is not being built in. So how well are we delivering? The next piece is, yeah, so that's the second behavior. And the third behavior um, metric is, is around improvement. So it's how well are we improving the way we deliver or what we deliver? You know, it's how well are we improving our delivery and what matters most? So if you notice, define what matters most, we, you know, delivering what matters most, it's improving our delivery of what matters most. The next one is about capability to deliver and improve, not only today, but for the future. So am I, have I, am I developing my people to solve problems in the future? You know, have I got succession planning for my team leaders, my supervisors, my managers, etc. Um, so that's the fourth one. So, and the fifth one can be around either customer experience or safety, depending what industry you're really focusing on. But, you know, the, safety, the customer experience one is quite often delivery. But there's usually one major factor, depending on it's more specific. So it might be risk uh, in, um, in financial services, or you might think about customer experience. So those are sort of things um, that's up to the organization. What's their primary differentiator? You know, some will say, we want to be the best customer experience bank in the world. Okay, great. So, you know, whereas others might say, well, we're more into um, 
markets and in international trade. Therefore, we're going to be excellent on, on risk. Yeah. Culture plays such a big part in an organization's performance. Every study or review on how and what impacts culture comes back to two levers. One being the quality of an organization's ability to connect all teams to their customer-centric, meaningful vision and goals, and the systems of strategy deployment that hang around this. The second is formal and informal leadership behavior. There are some great resources available on this topic on the website enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com and also through our monthly newsletter ongoing. To link into this, contact us through LinkedIn or the website. We'll look forward to getting more information out to you. Let's get back to the episode. Morgan, I love that, especially with the bit you say if you're a financial services and you go, right, we're going to be the best at customer service in our region or in the world. And then when you talk behaviours, it's like, okay, well, at the front line, what does that look like? And then I guess in that regard, you're getting to a, you're starting to hone in on behaviours, aren't you? Exactly, exactly right. So if you think of Richard Branson and, and Virgin, so Richard Branson had a quite a um, controversial um, philosophy. He sort of said, um, I'm going to focus on my staff experience because if I get my staff experience right, they will deliver the best customer experience. Mm. So again, so what's experience is behavior. So how do the staff interact and behave to the customer given the best experience? So you then, oh, this is what you want people to say. This is how you want them to treat them, what respect. So all of those elements are all the behavior. But it's, it's not being overt. So people use different languages. That's okay. But it just comes down to what's the clear definition of behaviors? Because the culture is, it has other elements to it. But you, um, the, the purpose of this book is really to hone in on the behaviors piece. Because culture is made up of three elements. Behaviors is what people do and say, or don't do and don't say. The other part is about beliefs and values. I don't cover that in this book, but something that's coming up late in a, in a future one. But beliefs, you have organization and team beliefs. Oh, if we speak up, last person who spoke up got sacked. So there becomes a team belief or an individual belief that you can be disrespected. So every time you speak up, you get into trouble. So it's, you know, that psychological safety piece um, and value. So you have the corporate value. So at a team organizational level, so it's, it's made up of values, beliefs, and behaviors. The important thing is it's e- relatively easy to change behaviors. It's harder, but you can change beliefs. And you do that by demonstrating behaviors and how and how you respond to behaviors. The values one, you don't change, both at an organizational level, but also uh, at a personal level. Very rarely do people change their core values. So as you as an individual, your values were established by your family, your community, whether it's church, lo- local community, friends, your value set. It's been embedded very early on. Very unlikely for you to change those unless there's a major life change. Again, that's what happens at corporates. They don't tend to change their core values unless they're, ooh, we, we, we're about to go bankrupt, we need to change. Mm-hmm. But the beliefs, once you've got your core and you live with those core values, then focusing on the uh, on the beliefs to drive. So I focused on the behaviors because that's the first step. 
really get your behaviors aligned and um, getting that consistent at all levels, then you can start to say, well, okay, and, and check, how do I embed that? It's making you very yourself a challenge and really align your beliefs both at, a, at an organizational level and also individually. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing, Morgan, what you're saying too, like that one where the last time someone spoke up, they got fired. Through pe- those people seeing behavior of leaders not doing that multiple, multiple times, they might start to alter their belief. But it's not something that will happen the first time they see someone not get fired when someone speaks up. Like it can take a while to alter a belief, can't it? And I guess that's where behavior is not something you can just focus on for one short period of time. Yeah, it's consistent. And and those beliefs. So people have inherent beliefs in teams and sub-teams that something happened two, three, four, five years ago. Because you have this organizational memory. And you go, oh, yeah, but that didn't happen. That only happened five years ago. But guess what? It's never forgotten until you say, well, okay, great. How many times, you know, so therefore for every negative experience, you need at least seven positives to just to negate that one. So when you say, oh, it's something biggest, but how many times do we promote people because they challenge to try to make things better? We don't actually articulate and tell people that. Mm. So if you did that seven times, people would forget that one that got sacked. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. So a, and that's where you change the beliefs of people. So this book doesn't really get a huge amount into the belief system yet. Because, you know, because uh, when you start talking about that, people say, oh, you're trying to tell me a belief. You can challenge my religion. You can challenge. No, no, no. It's what's the inherent team beliefs? Mm. You go, what do you mean by that? And people have never articulate that. Very rarely do they actually articulate the behaviors they want to see. Some very successful ones do, like like the Teslas. Like Amazon, they have course set of values and beliefs, and values and behaviors, and and they're quite brutal in applying them. That's what's acceptable here. You will live by them. Yeah. If you don't, yeah. they self-manage very quickly. Yeah, I think it's um it it's especially with some of the leadership behavior where with the right language and the right approach, that will that will that Jim Collins spoke about comes down that we are on this journey. We need to make this journey and keep at it. It certainly sets a tone, doesn't it? It sets that it tone. Of, this is my. This is a belief. This is something that we're going to hold to. You know, whereas as soon as it's wishy-washy and behaviours alter compared to it, you're on a very fragile, thin bit of ice with a transformation, aren't you? Yeah, because because you mentioned, you know, you know, I talked a little bit earlier on about you know the lens I take. So the first one I talk about, you know, is change management. I start to get people to think about it. It's actually what changing behaviours as well as changing and using comms. Because most people think change management is all about communication. Then they start to, to look at agile. Now, agile, people, it challenges people's beliefs because we use waterfall style for project and finance and everything else. But you want to change the, the way you manage agile, which means, you know, oh, well, um, the only thing that's fixed in agile is time, scope, you know, and cost can, is, is variable. And that, freaks out because it's old behaviors and old mindsets to say actually what do you mean I, all i'm going to do is i've got to deliver this in this time so i can, I can change the scope and they say but that doesn't work for building a bridge i can't build half a bridge but there's you know you say well you actually got to think differently and how do you you, you I, but I must have a fixed cost why must you have a fixed cost if you fix the cost you then still have to vary scope and what happens in every major project scope gets smaller because you overspend yeah. and it takes longer. So it's just challenging their, their paradigm of, 
you know, behaviors and what's acceptable. And then we start talking, you know, we talk a bit about continuous improvement, but risk is a really interesting one because risk is about decision-making. And that can take in, you know, it's about safety. It's about commercial risk. There's risk of um, upsetting people, you know, so you're in a competitive market. We're in a competitive market at the moment with labor. If I don't treat people with respect, they can walk tomorrow. Mm. I'll get another job. So there's a risk of staff turnover. You know, then I talk about customer experience. Most people talk about customer experience, you know, sort of um, customer satisfaction. But it's actually moving to customer experience. So I do a split of both between customer experience and uh, um, you know, that customer focus piece. Because I've seen a customer focus and you go, well, yeah, the focus is important. It's more the experience. Talk about safety, because safety is a, a, a challenge for an organization, a lot of heavy industry. Then I had it, the, the thing that was really sneaky is stuck in a couple of extra chapters near the end. And one of them was around personality types. Because we talk about behaviors, but we're all different. We have people, you know, different personality profiles. So the way they relate to behaviors is really, really important. You need to think about it. You know, whether you use Myers-Briggs or uh, different personalities. A leader who's, you know, leading, teaching people leading with humility is a lot harder with certain profile, profile types compared to others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, we're in a, in a new world, and what does the Internet of Things really look like? And then, you know, leadership decisioning and things like that. And then right at the end, we just give you a roadmap. You go, well, yeah, I've covered all these different lenses. How do you actually do something with this stuff? You get me into, okay, how do, what's my first steps? You know, how do I focus? You first of all choose what were your important lens, and then you start deciding what the behavior is, what levels, and what's what's good look like. Well, I'm trying to be perfect. This is get better today than yesterday. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one too, Morgan, with the roadmap, because I could see how that's going to look quite different to a traditional transformation roadmap where, you know, they talk more about the systems and the tools that you're putting in place in a traditional type of project management way. But your roadmap with behaviors, you're going to be, more talking about what you're seeing people doing, thinking, and feeling at different phases of the journey. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the challenge of how do people feel, you know, this is where I've had lots of discussions. Because if you think about behaviors and what people do, you can get the same action from different, you know, from people feeling differently about it. And, you know, and thinking slightly different, but they still get the same outcome. <laughs> Too true. So part of all of that is, is that's where you need to understand your personality profiles and, and go, there isn't a sheet dip approach and go, okay, I'm going to brainwash everybody to think like this. That's not what it's about. It's treating people as humans and saying, this is what the outcome we're trying to get to. And this is how we want it to be delivered, how the behavior is. And getting them to reflect on the their thinking and mode and I've I've changed away from how people feel to motivational motive, mm, because links to that you know, belief more. Yeah, so it links to that and say, well, actually, if you start how am I feeling? I can I can feel angry, but still do the right thing. But it's motivation to do the right thing. So we're trying to get people to say, well, okay, I'm thinking this. How do I motivate motivate myself to do the right thing? It may be harder. So it's, it's get, that's where my thinking has evolved into in that space. Well, I think we're seeing it a lot in sport, aren't we, where some of the great coaches coming through now, are, yes, they're coaching the team, but they're tuning down and adapting depending on the individual. Mm. And ultimately, they want the right behaviour out in the field, but they're 
approach to the individual can be different based on that individual, what motivates that individual and drives that individual. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an interesting way of thinking. It certainly tunes up the leadership capability that you need to really take this to a high level. Like as you start, I guess when you're not perfect, there's a good road to go of low hanging fruit. Once you start getting up to that high level, I guess you're tuning up to a really high level of leadership coaching capability and leadership capability. Yeah, because I, I remember having a talk from, um, from a skipper of the uh, the Wallabies. And I asked him a question about David Campisi. Mm. David Campisi, he said, I said, look, David couldn't tackle for toffee. He was hopeless at, at, at tackling. You know, we could have spent days, years coaching him to be a better tackler. But what, what his magic was, was he could turn a game and he'd sidestep and he can inspire the whole team by just giving them freedom. So we all knew his weakness and we covered, because none of us could be as, you know, that magical, but you need to put him in the space that he could do what he did to inspire everybody. And we just knew David wasn't going to, if there was somebody, a John Alomo was coming the other way, he was going to, you know, we needed somebody to back him up from a tackling perspective. So it's just really understanding the behaviours. Well, I'm just saying everybody must happen this way. Therefore, understanding the, the capabilities of the team, how do we get the, the spread of capabilities and behaviours to deliver consistently and sustainably? So it's not just one person tackling all the time. How do we inspire others to be able to get into that space? Yeah, it's neat. Morgan, what have you found over the years stops an organisation or, you know, holding back organizations more tuning into behaviors like i guess the the science is there and the logic is there that ultimately to get culture change you're talking behavior change what do you think well, is holding it back there's a there's a couple of ones the first one is the financial return roi we are driven you know and it's an investment program you know we if we is this a cultural change oh yeah i know but i'm not going to get the results now I'm yeah. investing now for the future. So that's always a big challenge for the various parts of the organization. So the finance offer, yeah, but some leaders will say, yeah, I understand investing for the future. Uh, others is where HR believe, no, we own culture. No, no, they don't. It's actually the business line own culture, and HR are there to support and help them build, as is mm -hmm. the leadership. So it's the first bit of... People wanting to own the, the, the big piece of the pie, and I own this, or finance say I want a hard return. So those, those are uh, two big ones. Um, and the third one is people want a defined time frame, rather than saying the difference is this is not just a program. This is a cultural transformation. This is how we're going to operate and continue to improve year on year on year. Yeah. Not just, oh, the next three years we can deliver this. It's the next 10, next 15 years. So the time frame can be quite daunting because all the other programs, or we did Lean Six Sigma in the past, or we did Agile in the past, and it, you know, it delivered for a bit and then it's gone away. Yeah, because you, all you did was focus on the methodology. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm guessing too, Morgan, like you mentioned earlier, you're mentioning succession planning. Like I'm guessing if you have poor succession planning and the wrong behaviours come at the wrong place at the wrong time, it can quickly drive beliefs and behaviours back another way. Yeah, because there was one other one I forgot to mention which um, about um, the other problem 
is new leaders come in and want to, to make a, a quick difference. Mm. So what they do is they disband all this great work that's been done and started start to embed the behaviors. Oh, I have a new way. I'm going to make it even better. So it just destroyed all the foundations you've taken years to build. So leaders want to make a difference rather than building on what's there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's been it's been a re- recent insight for me too, Morgan, over the last year or so myself where I look at every business that's in operation now, they're operating, they're making money, they're, there's systems there, there's behaviours there that are working. You know, they'd be out of business otherwise completely. Okay, so what are those few behaviours we've got to alter and help improve, not alter, but necessarily just tweak and improve to yeah. keep going forward even better? You know, that's- Just align. So, because what happens in bigger corporates is the alignment of behaviours because they're driven by their own KPIs, mm. and which actually drive slightly different behaviours. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, again, just aligning them so we look at the bigger picture. Yeah, just how do we get value stream alignment, like you said? How do we alter some behaviours from leadership down to the front line to get better value stream alignment and flow through the organisation? Simple, absolutely. but not so, easy. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you've helped me contribute to the... Uh, to the, to the chapter on uh, agile management. Yeah, so thank you for much of that. And the, the bit I know I challenged you to say, I don't want to talk anything about agile methodology because, because again, that's like whether you're lean or Six Sigma, are you following the domain? Are you following PDCA? Is I got you to challenge your thinking, what's the agile behavior patterns that enable people to think differently using agile so do you want to tell i'm switching the interview a little bit so want to tell me a little bit about what you you think in that space i think morgan because you know you and i've worked together with a number of corporations and things also and all the way through the journey it's been a challenge you know thinking about okay get away from the systems and get away from the tools and go okay so what would be the behavior that you'd be seeing and i think in you know in in best practice agile you would be seeing, you'd be seeing ultimately a behaviour of respect for the front line because it's that insanely focus on the front line, create value, and that's where we're going to innovate and improve like like crazy. And so there's this absolute behaviour of develop the front line and build them to the ultimate level of capability. There's also a behaviour of breaking down, of working collaboratively and cross-functionally and having different skills and capability in the team. And there's also a behavior of being insanely customer centric. So this virtual ongoing PDCA cycle of rapid collaboration with customers, whether they be external to the company or internal, you know, if you've got a project or a change you're bringing through that's going to impact internal customers, well, you're highly tied to them and constantly getting rapid feedback on that through the time blocked work you're doing. So I really enjoyed it, mate, because it allowed me to think deeper than the system because agile in its training is largely about the system. You know, you, you, it's train on the system, deploy the system, you'll get the behaviors, but I'm with you, mate, that the place to start is what behaviors do we want? And then how do we help create that? And how do we help lead that and foster that? And also too, mate, when you're challenged to then go up to the leadership levels, you know, the leadership level behavior of seeing a problem coming up to them as an opportunity to truly help serve the people they serve versus the behavior of them seeing a problem coming up to them as a pain in the neck and or I'm too busy 
and I'm just going to ignore it. And the other part, I guess, which we spoke about, which is critical as the senior leaders really focused on connecting and aligning all levels on the customer, but also on what what we're working on, you know, that planning cycle and really helping create calmness and focus and flow through that. So it was really good. I, I enjoyed it, mate, because it's something that I hadn't done until you came to me about doing that for your book. So thank you very much. Well, I'll hand back to you then. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think too, it's, um, it's going to help any uh, consulting firm or organisation that is working on Agile or that is working on Lean or working on Six Sigma or working on safety, whatever, customer experience, you know, whatever they're doing, I think the, the great thing your book's going to do, it's going to allow them to actually practically look at, okay, how do we look at this from the lens of, a, of behaviours and what's some practical examples of that? Because it, it's in there, isn't it? Like the book is full of all these different behaviour contexts where you can look at things from that lens and put it into it, even then broaden it into the, what is a key behavioural indicator that might play a part here? Good, mate. I, I love it. Morgan, what would be your two-minute tip to, to organisations, your two-minute enterprise excellence tip on transform behaviours, transform results? Um, the, 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 my primary tip is if you really want to transform your results and make them sustainable, you're going to focus on just a core set of behaviours because it's the behaviours that deliver the results. So you can put stretch and burn people out. If you step back a little and go, actually, this is what the behaviors I want, and it's an incremental. So that's the biggest tip is really focusing on those behaviors and having then deciding on just a couple, not a myriad, not 20, 30, just one or two KBIs, just a few that you want to focus on. Because a KBI is something that you could you may only have a focus for three to six months. Your KPIs run on years on year. Whereas you just have a KBI. This is what I'm focused on for the next three to six months. So that's my thing is really be brutal and, and, and keep it narrow for behaviors. And then think about just one or two of them you want to have a metric. And stick it up on the board. Because guess what? Once you've got a metric up on a board, and you review it on a monthly or weekly basis, it starts to focus and drive the behavior that you want. Yeah. And Morgan, I can vouch for that because I've, I've worked for years with um, – uh, Signets Inc. factory, you know, and a leader called Paul Hughes and now a leader called Trevor Winson lead that factory and they've been connected to the Shingo Institute for a long while so they learnt some of the insights there. And that team, the frontline team, has defined the behaviours they want to focus on and they've been working on this for the last, I don't know, I'd say nearly 10 years. And they got two or three behaviours up there and they red or green dotted every day if, it, if they're living it or not. And then after they've seen it green for maybe six to eight weeks, they know that they've pretty well formed a habit. So they rub it off and put another one up there. And then they tune in on that, just red or green dot. And the conversations they have, like there's this level of respect and trust that they robustly, you know, this is a frontline cruise. This is the guys mixing the ink or running the um, can line where they make aerosol paint or the um, working the forklift in the warehouse. A really, really good system. And it delivers amazing results. I'm a believer, mate. I've seen it. <laughs> I suppose that the, I suppose the most, uh, for the book itself, it's aimed to give people a framework for them to consider what behaviours you know, through different lenses they can implement. And the, the personal piece, 
is all the proceeds for this book, again, goes to um, the Black Dog Institute for uh, Mental Health. So it's a way of giving back. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, when people buy the book, they realize they're actually contributing to mental health. Yeah, that a, that's great, mate. That's a, that's a good good area to help with ongoing, but especially where we're at now in the world, isn't it? Mate, what's, Morgan, what's been a recent insight for you, mate? What's been something you've learned recently that you didn't know before? Interesting um, about learning from my coaches. So, the, and I've been doing some training and coaching somebody, and watching them coach, I learned how to, you know, more by watching them coach and coaching them than to challenge more and think, stop, what behavior? And I just sometimes go, you get into a routine and habit, sometimes you need to just challenge your habits and go, you know, become second nature and you get lazy. So, part of that more recent stuff of them maybe i just need to just to reflect more to make sure i'm not becoming complacent that's a great insight mate i reckon that's probably the best insight i've ever had given on this episode on this podcast that's a cracker mate how can people reach out to you right how can they reach out how can they get hold of the book oh first thing is they can come through your network absolutely send the podcast i'm up on linkedin so they just have to search and all the books available on Amazon or all good websites. So uh, Barnes & Noble, um, Routledge, who are the uh, publishers. So you just do a search, Dr. Morgan Jones uh, books, and then it'll come up with all of them because this one's coming out as the seventh. Nice. Um, uh, and I say, uh, um, then there's the excitement of the next couple I've got planned. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, Morgan, thanks for everything you have done, mate, and also to the fact that you're capturing it in a legacy of written word that, you know, will help forevermore. And thanks for everything you continue to do. I'm sure there's going to be many more books we talk about going forward in the future, mate, and I look, to, look forward to them all. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now. Thank you, bro. Cheers. What a great episode. Remember, you can go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com, to gain further resources on leading and improving culture and also connect for our monthly newsletter. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. Firstly, when considering a transformational change within your organization, define the ideal behaviors you'd like to see. These behaviors will vary across the different levels and potentially teams of the organization. Consider all these factors as they are critical to truly making a change sustain. It is amazing how few behaviors of a focus to make things better can achieve amazing results. My second key takeaway was the time spectrum involved in truly achieving transformation or cultural change. The approach of defining ideal behaviours and working to embed ideal behaviours is infinite. Once we have embedded the ideal behaviours we are focused on now, we can then look at what do we need to focus on next to move us towards our vision and goals. This approach is not a short-lived program, it's an ongoing approach for constant cultural and transformation improvement. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Morgan. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now.